Up World. It's your boy. Right back at you. Two flights up from the kitchen, just below the roof. I'm in my attic. That's right. It's philanthropy and focus. It's Fridays. Maybe we should start to spell Fridays with a PH in front of it because this is my special day. So check it out. I, I don't usually do this. In fact, I've never done what I'm about to do on this program. Uh, but my friend Britt Pham had taught me how to do this a while back. And shout out to Britt. We haven't spoken in a minute, so I hope you're well. But when I was looking at my guest's bio, my friend Maheen, I was reading it. And the last line of her bio that was sent over made me think of this. So I want to say, not only am I coming from my attic, not only am I coming from the North Shore of Long Island, I'm coming from the land of the Matinecock people. And I feel what we're talking about today, some of what we're going to talk about for philanthropy, back to the ancestral philanthropy, things like that. I want to make that recognition and acknowledgement that this land belonged to someone else. And this is land that we now inhabit. And we can learn a lot from the natives who are here first, the Tinnecock people, especially where I am. And I haven't done that on the program. And I feel remiss. And I feel like it was appropriate to do that. So I wanted to put that out there. I am Tommy D. The show is philanthropy and focus. I am the nonprofit sector. Wait for it. Connector. That's what I do. I bring together folks in the nonprofit sector. Why? Because this is where I'm passionate, man. This is it. I got 50 years left on this earth. And that's what I'm going to do. It's going to make connections, make impact. And when somebody comes on this program, we do a couple of things. I bring them on to help them tell their story and amplify their message. And I will tell you this, I, you know, a number of months ago, I decided to sign up for some coursework with the Institute for Nonprofit Practice. And you've heard me talk about it here. And what was kind of unique about it was it was Thursday evenings. And then I would come on the program here and I would talk about some of my learning, some of the things that were very eye-opening for me. And if you've been listening, you know that. I'm all about people. It's all about the connections as we talked about just now. So what for me was the biggest boon in the work I did or the experience, I should say, was the people I got to meet and the people I got to connect with. And my guest today, Mahim Kaleem, is one of those people. And I will be, I'm going to be a little silly for a second. And maybe, maybe it's going to be some serious stuff today, but I'm going to be silly. I saw Mahin speak at one of the earlier sessions and I was like, man, she is the coolest. I want her to be my friend. I want to learn from her. I mean it, Mahin. I don't don't blush. It's real stuff. And I was like, I want her to be my friend. I think we can we can connect. I think I can learn so much from her and her experience. And she spoke at one of the roundtables, a nonprofit executive leadership roundtables that we do. And then uh we talked about having her on the show, and here it is. And the topic is philanthropy today. And now I'll tell you this. There's, I did a short video earlier this week about this just to kind of promote the show. There's so many different interpretations about this word. There's so many different understandings of the word. And I think today we're only going to, Mahin, in the next hour, be able to really scratch the surface on some of these topics. So I was going through my notes this morning. In fact, I was working at three pages of different things to talk about. And I was like, there's no way we're going to cover this all today. So what I'm proposing, first of all, let me say this. Good morning. How are you? Welcome to the show. Welcome to my attic. What's going on? Good morning. Happy Friday. Friday is my favorite day of the week. So were, you, were you born on a Friday? I don't think I was born on a Friday. I think I was, I was born on a Monday. Which... I was born on a Friday. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, I, I, I like Friday. It's cool. Right, it's a cool day. Mondays are cool too. And look, any day that ends in a Y is a pretty good day. That's what I would say. Just it can be. It can be. Right? Isn't it about choice? Like it's all about choice, man. It's about yeah. like, 
right? How, you, how are we going to approach today? How are we going to do this? I mean, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. So I, this is going to be a great day because we're going to make it a great day. And that's what I say all the time, make it a great day. So um, I, I want to read some of your background. I want to get into the story. I want to get into the subject matter. But I, I do want to preface the fact that you're probably going to have to come back. And if that's it, that's how I start my show. Welcome to the show, and you're going to have to come back. So I'm going to read some background. And then, Mahin, what I really, as we discussed, I really want to hear your personal journey. As important as the organizations I bring on the show is as important as the leaders are. And, you know, often nonprofit leaders are very, um, well, it's not about me. It's about the team. Of course, we know that. But it does take a strong leader from the top you know, to to set the course and to make sure we're on track to go where we're going. So I'm going to read a little bit, Mahin. I'm not going to read the whole bio because this is your story. I really want you to tell it. But Mahin has dedicated her life to creating a world where girls of color are safe and free. She spent almost 20 years supporting youth and families impacted by interpersonal and state violence and making way for those who are traditionally marginalized from formal sites of power to lead efforts to advance racial and gender injustice. We're gonna talk a lot about the work you've done, the work you're doing, but here's what I wanted to just kind of underscore. Mahin has co-authored several reports, including The Sexual Abuse to Prison Pipeline, A Girl's Story, and Beyond the Walls, a look at the girls in DC's juvenile justice system, DC meaning District of Columbia, Washington, DC. She's an alum of the Equal Justice Works Fellowship, the Stonely Emerging Leader Fellowship, and the National Juvenile Justice Network Youth Justice Leadership Institute, holds a bachelor's degree in international politics and her degree in law from Georgetown University. First generation Pakistani-American, was raised mostly in the Bay Area of California, the traditional territory of the Olani people. That's where it put me on where I was going. Am I saying it right? Is it Olani? Ohlone people. Ohlone people. Mahin, let's jump into it. I mean, I, like I said, why did I? Why was I attracted to it, connecting with you, and 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 as, as I say, becoming friends? It, it was because I, I could see the power in w- the way you answered questions in our coursework together, I, in reading, checking out your background and stuff like that. Take me down this path. Take us down this path. Path. Why? Why did you get involved in this world? Yeah. Um... I was, I'd say I was like born into it, right? So my parents um, are from Pakistan or the Indian subcontinent. My father was born um, right before the war of partition between India and Pakistan. So they grew up in turmoil, but they also grew up dreaming about, you know, what a new country could look like and what a new life could look like. Um, And I think that definitely informed the household that I grew up in, they were very focused on justice. They were very focused on service. Um, My father moved to this country as a, you know, 19 year old um, landed in Oklahoma and started organizing with the NAACP. So, you know, as a, as a young Pakistani kid, you know, so I think um, I grew up in a household where we were taught a couple of specific things. One being you are never better than the person next to you. And it doesn't matter who you interact with, but like treat everyone with dignity and respect. Two was whatever you have, it is your responsibility to use to to support other people. That actually we are, our communities are interdependent on each other. Um, And that just because I can give a dollar, somebody else can give something else and that we actually all need each other. And so it's really, it's, it's, it's our responsibility 
our collective responsibility to take care of each other. Um, and we were a household where like everybody came, you know, my father, I remember the story where this kid was like leaving school one day and we were on the way to school and this kid didn't even go to my school. And my dad pulls up next to him and is like, get in the car. He didn't quit you, to school. you knew him or? No, this is a random kid. And I don't know who his parents are and didn't tell him to get into, maybe because there were kids in the car. He got in the car and my father was like, why aren't you going to school? And like, started mentoring this kid on the way we were late to school because I dropped this kid off at school wow. you know? um that was what I saw growing up and so I didn't really see a different way to live I, I was very clear from a pretty young age that like I was going to do something that had impact and something that was about service um I ended up studying human rights um global human rights and I actually got really frustrated because I was volunteering in juvenile halls in DC in college and I was studying international human rights and the things that were happening to young people in juvenile halls definitely felt like human rights violations to me. But the, that wasn't how it was translated. It was like, oh, those poor people in Pakistan over there, those poor women in Pakistan are experiencing things. And I'm like, no, we as a as humanity are experiencing different things. We allow certain conditions to exist for people that we deem are not worthy of protection or safety or whatever. And so I was like, you know what, I'm actually... I'm struggling with these frameworks. I'm just gonna go back home to California and figure out how I can apply a human rights frame to work that is happening in my community. My very first job out of college was, I don't know how bless the people who trusted me, but I was like a 20 something working with trafficked youth in Oakland. It was one of the first pilot projects in the country to actually support what at the time they were calling um, youth who had been impacted by commercial sexual exploitation. So, you know, I'm running after kids. I'm a fresh graduate from Georgetown. And these kids are like, who are you? What are you doing here? And what are they, and, are they young? To give us oh, some sorry, more. Yeah, so we're talking about, you know, U.S. born, mostly black and brown girls for the most part, although there were a few boys that I worked with um, and, and gender expansive young people, um, mostly in the child welfare system or in the juvenile justice system, definitely young people, girls that, folks would have deemed as bad or out of control or whatever it was. And, you know, I was like 22. So I would just go in and talk to them and they would be like, who are you? What are you doing here? Why are you here? And honestly, the only answer I could give them was, well, if I was your age and I had somebody who was slightly older than me, who was a woman, who had a different life experience than I did, who I could bounce things off of without judgment, maybe my life would have been different. Maybe I would have made different choices. Doesn't mean that I'm not okay, but things would have been slightly potentially better for me. And so I think for me, I was really clear. And then to be honest, you know, I experienced gender-based violence and sexual assault when I was in college. And so I was trying to sort of navigate as an early 20 something, like how do I take all the things that I'm experiencing? Um, I was in high school, um, when 9-11 happened and it was as as folks particularly in this city were so deeply impacted by the horrors of that day and continue to be um you know for young muslim folks that were born in this country there was also another layer of we're grieving this horrific thing that happened and also people are yeah. looking at us differently right. Being persecuted, yeah. right? And and you know, uh, like, like being judged. You know, people that I grew up with who are saying, you know, are you a terrorist? Is your family a terrorist? And so all of these things are happening. I'm trying to unpack it, and I think for me, where I land here is, 
how do I use the skills, the privileges, the education, the capacities that I have to do something? And so that took me to a place where I went to law school thinking that was the way I'm going to be a, a legal advocate for kids and systems. Um, I realized that I didn't like the systems, and so I wanted to change the law. So I started doing policy work in D.C. and in the states to kind of figure out how do we change laws. And then other women of color, to be honest, reached out to me and said, I think you can have a different impact. I think you can actually inform how people with financial resources give back to the communities that you care about. And I trusted them because they were mentors of mine. And so I kind of landed in philanthropy only because it, for me, was another way to use my resources, my supports, my connections to community and young people to be able to shift power and and think about a more just world. So in, in thank you for all that. So in, in that case, then, you know, you have these mentors and they they give you, you know, Mahin, you're your efforts, your activity, your action can be better utilized here. And it's going to expand in all different directions as a result of, in my own vernacular, I'd say playing connector, bringing the pieces together, right? What the connecting community to the dollars, because at the end of the day, that's the way this system is set up. And uh, listen, you, I'll do a whole nother show one day, gang. We'll talk about the, the how capitalism is not great. Oh, I'm in trouble now, but we will talk about that. But like, this is the system we're in right now and it takes dollars to get things done. So, so that opportunity from being tapped and saying, you know what, Mahin, what about this direction? It it really informed and kind of changed the trajectory of where you were going to go, where you are now and where you will be going, I guess. Right. Absolutely. A thousand percent. It was people who saw me before I knew what I was capable of. It was people who trusted me and said, um, you know, I think you can do this. And I was like, I don't know anything about reading an organizational budget and deciding who should get money for what. And they were like, it's not about that. I had mentors that were like, it's actually about you knowing where the good work is, you being able to ask the questions, you being able to trust the community. And we trust you, which was a very different, um, it was a, it was a beautifully fortunate experience that I've had to be trusted by a lot of, um, mostly women that I deeply respect who brought me along and lifted me up and placed me in positions where they thought I could have impact on our collective work. It's funny because like, that is the work, right? Like, isn't that what the whole thing is? I'm getting goosebumps. I mean, but that's the idea. It's like, that's what this thing is. It's, it's empowerment. It's lifting up. It's seeing, and it's so critical. We're going to take a break in a sec, but it's so critical in my opinion of seeing that the people around us see us when we don't see ourselves. And I'm saying that out to you all, like surround yourself with good people. They will lift you up and, 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 and some, and trust and trust that the path that people see for you, because sometimes it's difficult. I mean, you and I've had offline conversations about this, you know, where like, where, you know, sometimes we don't all realize how great we actually are and the impact we actually are, are making. We're going to leave it right there. Mahin Kaleem, Grant Makers for Girls of Color is the organization. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. 
you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Right. Come through that static. Push your way through the static and join me in my attic. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen when I make it to the big time and I'm not in my attic anymore. We're still going to have to. We'll keep the song, I think, because wherever I go, I'll always be in the attic, at least the attic of my head. All right. So we're back. This is Philanthropy and Focus. My friend, Mahin Kaleem, is here. The organization that she is with is Grant Makers for Girls of Color. We're on this road trip together. We're talking through her experience, her career. We're, we're in the world of philanthropy now. Mahin, you've been tapped by your mentors, people who've seen the future and said, you're going to make your biggest impact is going to be made in this world of philanthropy, which is awesome. Great. Now what? Where do you go? How do you get involved? How, and what, and honestly, as you're talking to me about that too, what does that even mean? What is this right back to philanthropy? What does that mean? Because, you know, in my experience in our work together with our, with our cohort and our larger group with the Institute for Nonprofit Practice, it means many different things to many different people. And I learned that. I mean, I tell you, I, I Googled the philanthropy when I named this show and I was like, all right, because I was, because I was concerned that it, the connotation was a bunch of white guys in the back of a room writing big checks. Like, that's what I thought. And I was like, oh God, that can't, I don't want to call a show that. So I, what I did was I Googled it. And then I was like, after doing the show for six or eight months, meeting my group uh, with IMP, then I was like, uh-oh. I'm not sure. So let's, can we overcome that? And then what it really meant for you going into this work? Yeah. So, you know, at its core, it means love of people. And that means a lot of different things to different people. And so there is the philanthropic practice or the philanthropy that we practice in our communities every day. And then, and in our homes and in our families. And then there is the industry, um, and the institutions that have been attached to that. And so in the US in particular, philanthropy has really, as an industry, it was a lot of rich white guys who wanted honestly to enact control over certain situations. Sometimes there was attached to, I have a big idea and I feel like 
you know, with the right resources, it could happen. But there's another darker side to that that was about shielding money from taxes. There was a side to that that was about um, being able to hoard wealth. There was a side to that about using nonprofits and organizations to be able to exercise a particular agenda, like political agenda. And so there is definitely a part of that, right? Um, but then there is like what we always say, which is, and this is really how I enter, is like, well, what is this thing? Um, how do it, and it it can be a practice in love. So, you know, um, right now there is a big movement within the industry to engage in what's called trust-based philanthropy, which is less about, which is about trusting communities. Communities know what they need. Folks that are closest to the, you often hear people say people closest to the problem are closest to the solutions. That is absolutely true. It's basically like, if I am in trouble, then I know what I need to get out of a particular situation or somebody in my community that has experienced this actually knows how to help me get out of this situation, right? Can I interrupt you one second? I think what I'm also hearing is if you're not in the community and you have no connection to it, you probably don't know the solution, meaning exactly. the other people, right? You mean, meaning maybe if they are the ones writing the check, but they have they they don't get it. They're not on the ground, right? So like the, the opposite of that, right? Right. And you know, like a lot of the ways that it has been, again, the dollar is very powerful and the dollar can be used to control people in a lot of ways. So you have donors that are like, going to go to an organization that's based in a community and say, I'm going to give you money for this thing that I've decided because I read a book somewhere that this was the thing that your community needed. When actually they're like, we need this. I'll give you an example. We um, support a lot of Native and Indigenous women. And there was a tribe that we were talking to. People are often talking about missing, thankfully now, people are drawing attention to the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. So women and girls who are getting disappeared from communities because they are experiencing violence, they are getting trafficked out of their communities, and it is often from people who are not from those communities. Um, one of the things that, you know, you can read about violence and say, well, your community needs this, or the issue is about, you know, what's happening internally in the community. What they came to us and said is we need a boat because we we actually need some new technology to go search for some of the women who are going missing. And so how would I know that this community needed a boat? But we moved money to them at Grantmakers for Girls of Color um, because we trust the community to tell us what they need and then to use our resources. And the reason is not because it makes us feel good. The reason is because we believe that we get to a better and just world for all of us if those people actually have the resources to address the things that they need most and to come up with those creative solutions that actually will, I believe, get us closer to freedom, especially when you're resourcing communities of color who have figured out how to survive all kinds of things. Like the fact that indigenous folks are still standing, that those communities are holding on to their cultural practices, like trust them, they know how to survive okay. centuries and centuries of things. And so I would say that specifically with respect to your question about what philanthropy could be and what philanthropy is, um, you know, there is a wonderful author, Edgar Villanueva, who has written this amazing book called Decolonizing Wealth, which is really about, you know, how we take money and what it has become and this capitalist system and say, well, we can actually still use it as a resource to support communities. And I think it invites us to think about what, what does that actually mean? And so for us at Grantmakers for Girls of Color, and it, it is a, an approach that really speaks to me is, 
our people have always taken care of each other. And in our particular instance, girls of color do a lot of caring for communities and caring for families and caring for peers and caring about what's happening in their schools. And so all we have to do is work with them and show up with the resources we have, which is, it could be mentorship, it could be financial resources, it could be teaching them about philanthropy so that they can make decisions about where money goes when people are saying it supports girls of color. It can look like a lot of different things, but for us, we often say we're practicing not your granddaddy's philanthropy. Our, our president, um, Dr. Monique Morris, often says we're, we're practicing not your granddaddy's philanthropy, but our grandmother's philanthropy. How did our grandmothers care for our communities? And how, and that really speaks to me of like, whether it's the law degree, whether it's, you know, a financial resource that we have access to, whether it's a connection to, to you know, to speak to what you do, we all have resources that we can offer to each other. And if we move in a philanthropic practice that is really based in that, then it's not about charity. It's not about like, I'm giving you this because it makes me feel good. It's about, I'm giving you this because I know that my life will be better and our lives will be better and our world will be more equitable and just if we are actually collectively pooling our resources. You know, thank you for all that. And I sigh because it's like, that all just makes so much sense. Like, that's why to me, it, it, I sigh out of awareness, maybe frustration, more frustration, I guess, because I go like, I sort of think, uh, I don't want to say why isn't this just the way it's done, because I understand the system. I don't understand the systems completely, but I know there's there's systems that are put in place. I, you know, I, I can't say I know all of them, but uh, newsflash, everybody. There are systems that are put in place that are set up structurally so these things are the way they are. It's it's dismantling those systems. And as I looked at um, when when I look at you, you know the mission statement of of girls uh, grantmakers for girls of color, it's a philanthropic organization with the mission to cultivate and mold and mobilize resources in support of girls of color. Resource transfer. Uh, tr it's resource transformative organizing work that dismantles systems of oppression. I mean, these systems are in are there. So the the side that I did a moment ago is because I'm, I'm sort of like, it's it's this is the setup. This is the way it is. So we have to go against that, right? It's it's a battle. So talk to me about the founding of this organization and talk to me about like what like wh where that comes from dr monique the whole thing i mean because yeah. that you know that i'm so like you know it's funny because as frustrated as i am i'm, I'm also i feel like very open and empowered by work of organizations like yours and and inspired is is really the best word so that's what excites the hell out of me about doing the show and and being in this world so Talk to me about that. Yeah. Um, so Grantmakers for Girls of Color was founded in direct response to movement leaders. So when I say movement leaders, I'm talking about um, women and femmes of color who were organizing to support girls of color who were saying philanthropy, government, you need to see us. You need to recognize the power and the work that we're doing in communities. We deserve to be resourced. And so Grantmakers for Girls of Color was started um, as a funder learning community by um, a very dear friend of mine and, and a number of people, including Dr. Monique Morris, um, who were basically calling on philanthropic institutions, big family foundations, you know, funding intermediaries, women's foundations to say, how do we come together to actually directly resource 
girls of color in communities who have never, who receive, um, you know, the most recent data is they receive less than 0.5% of the $67 billion of philanthropic giving every year goes to women and girls of color. And that amounts to $5.48 per women or girl of color in the U.S. What are are we talking about? That's ridiculous. Come on. So it's not just that. So so basically it was created as a space for funders to learn, to organize, to come together, to think about like, how do we resource this work? And how do we resource it in a way that actually meets what young people are saying they need? So there was a bunch of research that was done with folks in philanthropy, with girls themselves, with organizational leaders to say, what are the gaps? Where do we need to go? How do we do this? And what was really important about that is that we heard from young people that girls of color want to be resourced at the intersections of their identities. And when you ask them who they are, they might say, I'm from the Bronx, I'm this ethnicity, I'm this race, I'm this gender, I'm this age, um, but they, I'm from this neighborhood, but they also will say, I'm shy, I'm funny, I'm creative, I'm smart, I'm powerful, sometimes I'm moody. And for us, we were like, okay, how do we come up with philanthropic strategies that see them for the fullness of they are of who they are, recognize them as leaders in their communities, and support that in specific ways? Um, so we were created really to bring together these various people. How do we put young people, organizational leaders, and people with financial resources in the same room to say, actually, we're going to collectively work together to mobilize these resources? And so. We spun out into kind of our own organization in August of 2019. Dr. Monique Morris, who is an incredible social justice scholar. She's an award-winning film producer. She is the foremost scholar on the criminalization of black girls in schools. She, um, She was brought in to lead this organization in April of 2020. So we're talking about a pandemic. We're talking about a lot of different conditions happening in the world and there was seed money and she made the very astute decision. We can sit on this money and think about how we're going to build this organization or we can look at what is happening in our communities and we knew with all the COVID-19 relief dollars that girls of color and the organizations that serve them were not going to access those 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 PPP loans they were not going to be able to access a lot of those resources and so we launched this COVID-19 response fund and kind of became a grant maker overnight with so was that uh, we're going to take a quick break so I want to stop you there for a second because I, there's so much here so you become a grant maker with although again having spun out of what was more of correct me if I'm wrong but an educational organization right and sure, it, was like, um, it was a learning community it wasn't even an organization at that point it was a convening space for funders to learn about how to support this work and to think about how to work together all right, we're going to take a quick break. We got to do that. So when we come back, I want to talk about that COVID relief fund and, and we'll keep it moving from there. Mahin Kaleem is with me, grant makers for girls with color. I am your boy, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you. Philanthropy and focus right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. And we're back. Show is called Philanthropy and Focus, and I'm called Tommy D. And here's Mahin Kalim is here today, and she's the vice president for Grant Makers for Girls of Color. Uh, if you're just checking in right now, well, later on, rewind and go listen to the beginning of the program. But if you're if you've been here already, well, then you know what we're talking about. So let's talk about the, you know the response, the COVID response fund, the COVID relief fund that that. Um, you guys really organizationally implemented right away, April of 2020. Uh, Dr. Monique Morris takes the helm here, right? And then you got to go do this thing, right? And you're in the we're in a pandemic. So, but before we do that, I, I thought when we were at break, because I want you to talk about the multiple funds that the organization provides right now to grantees. Explain a fund for us. What does that actually mean? Because again, we're defining philanthropy. We're defining pieces here. So for us. Um... We are what's called a funding intermediary, meaning that we raise money to re-grant it back to communities. And the reason that is, is because um, if I have some resources and I live you know, somewhere that's not connected to where the need is, but I really want to resource girls of color in a particular community, I can give to this fund and I know that it's going to go to particular communities. So um, for us, the way we define fund is really just a home for resources to live that can be redistributed. Um, and you saw it a lot during the pandemic for folks that heard about mutual aid funds. There was some place that money was being collected to be redistributed to communities. So that's kind of how we think about it in this context. So we start this COVID-19 response fund because we had relationships with, with organizations that were supporting girls of color in communities who didn't know how to access some of the COVID relief dollars that were available or couldn't access them or getting denied relief. Um, in our first couple months, we resourced about you know, 80 organizations. We moved about $4 million within the span of like six or seven months um, because we just, we knew that we had to. And what was powerful about that is that it brought us into relationship with organizations that we hadn't heard of, that we didn't know about, who were doing incredible work before the pandemic, but never had access to like a Ford Foundation or a, you know, a big national foundation or even a community foundation or a women's foundation in their community because 
they're small, they're doing the work, they don't have time to fundraise. And so for us, it was like, it's our job to find out who these people are, make it really easy for them. There was like a little survey monkey survey that they had to fill out with a couple questions. And then the other thing that we did, which is how we get to the other funds that we house at G4GC, was that, um, which is, you know, we call Grant Makers for Girls of Color, G4GC for short, is um, we asked who else in our community, in your community should we be resourcing? Because so they, so, they know, again, they yeah, know listen, their community. Worked, exactly. And I've worked with young people. I know who I trust with the young people that I work with every day. So I'm going to trust that person that's responding to young people in their community, because if they trust you with the kids that they're working with, then I trust you, you know? And so we learned about all of these amazing organizations. And then what was cool about that as a funder was we're funding ecosystems and villages and communities of people who are coming together because we know one organization and one individual can't do it all. So that made it clear that we actually could really go where other people couldn't go or didn't know where to go. So that, you know, the Love is Healing Fund still exists. Um, it is not just a COVID-19 response fund. Now we fund a number of different um, communities and organizations through that fund. We have three other funds that we have launched since then. Our largest is the Black Girl Freedom Fund. It is attached to a larger campaign called the One Billion for Black Girls campaign that was launched with Dr. Morris alongside um, seven other incredible Black women leaders, including Tarana Burke, who is really the, the founder and the architect of the Me Too movement, um, Joanne Smith, who leads Girls for Gender Equity here in D.C., um, Salamisha Tillett, who recently won a Pulitzer for her amazing scholarship. And so we had all of these amazing Black women who um, started this campaign. And basically it was it was because we saw in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd, now people are saying, okay, we wanna give to black communities. And what they said was black girls can't be left out of that conversation. If you're gonna give to black led organizations, you need to give to organizations that are also serving black girls and really focused on supporting and cultivating the leadership of black girls. And so our response at G4GC to that campaign and that call to action was to say, we're going to launch this thing called the Black Girl Freedom Fund. And we're going to bring in Black girls, femmes, and gender expansive youth to actually be decision makers on where those funds go. We launched two other funds after that in partnership with other funder intermediaries. The, the first one being the New Songs Rising Initiative, which is in partnership with the oldest Indigenous-led funding intermediary in the country, the Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous People. Um, and it was because they said, we trust you to work with our communities and we could do something really cool to raise resources that were specifically going to indigenous girls. Um, and so that fund launched um, last July, we just recently celebrated its first anniversary. And then the most recent one that we, we launched is the Holding a Sister Initiative, which was launched in partnership with, again, another funder intermediary because our communities work together called the Black Trans Fund. Um, that fund is a fund specifically to support trans girls of color. And it is because we know that when we look at that number of point, less than 0.5% of philanthropic giving goes to women and girls of color overall, it's even less for indigenous girls, it's even less for black girls, it's even less for um, trans girls of color, and then it's even less for all of the other young people, um, Arab, Muslim, Southeast Asian, um, gender expansive young people, Latinx young people, undocumented young people, immigrant young people, and system involved young people. So for us, these funds exist because we know that those communities deserve resources. We know how to find them and how to work with who knows where those organizations are and who's leading them. Um, and so folks that want to give 
can either give come to us and say, who should we be giving to, which we love to do. We love to tell you about the organizations that we are supporting and help you figure out where to put your resources. And also, if you don't know, you can give the money to us and we'll make sure it gets to communities. And so that is really how we are organizing with people. We're staying in community with people and going back to that question of philanthropy that you asked, we're also engaging in an act of reciprocity with our grantees. So it's not just about the dollars we give, it's what else do you need from us? How can we amplify what it is that you're doing every day? Um, you know, do you need a connection to a consultant who can help you think about an HR question or a legal question or a communication strategy? Um, and how do we bring you into community with other organizations and funders and young people who are interested in this work. One of the most beautiful things that we've been able to do is bring girls of color who are in Wisconsin and Guam and Puerto Rico and um, you know have been in the juvenile justice system in Oakland together because through our network, we have this amazing vantage point to say, well, there's this beautiful work happening over here. You should really know about it and put people into community with each other in a way that um, in a way that, again, makes our community stronger and also breaks the isolation that a lot of nonprofit, if you are a nonprofit leader that's listening to this, you know, one thing that Joanne Smith, who leads Girls for Gender Equity here in, um, in New York City said to me a very long time ago was being an executive director is one of the most isolating roles you can have because you are accountable to everyone and no one is accountable to you. And it helped yeah. me really think about what it is that we need to like you said, support the leaders of these organizations, make sure they know you're not alone and we feel accountable to you and we have got you, especially if you're a woman of color in a community trying to figure out how to support young people in your community. We see you. Yeah, thank, thank you for that, Mahin. And while Mahin was speaking, if you're only listening and not watching on Facebook, I was sharing uh, some shots from actually just sharing the website for grant makers for girls of color the website is grantmakersforgirlsofcolor.org all spelled out there's not a number four in there all right so it's all spelled out but and you'll notice initiatives and funds are right on there so if you if you're watching on facebook you saw it live if you're not and you're only listening go to the website later on check out the various funds and you'll be able to learn about that i want to understand me you know we'll start the conversation quick before we take a break and we come to, when we come back we'll talk more about it but that that again I, i've been networking way before i knew what the word ever was i just was like well you do this and you do this we should probably sit at a bar together and talk about it right like that just made sense to me you know so when you talk about bringing people together bringing these organizations your grantees together even funders together and and the fact that the the young people are involved with kind of the direction not kind of but the direction of where the dollars are going can you explain for me what that looks like what is the the platform how does that all happen like you know what we're gonna let's do it when we come back and break so i'm setting you up for something then we're never gonna finish it so when we come back let's i want to understand like because as you were explaining it to me the 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 young girl in wisconsin or the the program in wisconsin to the the to the one in, in downtown brooklyn how like what does that look how do you do that i mean i'm sure zoom is going to come up in the conversation but like what does that feel like what's the look and feel and then uh in that final that'll be the final segment believe it or not of the show because that's how quick the show goes but we, when you're having fun right but what i want to do after that is where do we go i know there's a convening coming up where do we go what's next how do we help who do you want to connect with because that's where that's really where we're always leaning towards is the power of the connection we'll be right back let's do that when we come back philanthropy and focus 
Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. And we're back. All right, we are back. So, Mahin, we had we left the story there. I want you to pick it up from where we were. Sort of, what, how, what does it look like? How the connections happen? How do the, these young people and these leaders of organizations and those on the front lines in the community? How are they all connecting? Uh, after that, let's let's go into what you need, the organization, the connections we can make, and then also I wanted to, if we have time, to hit on that question you and I were texting about earlier today around corporates and and maybe a better alignment with the sector. So yeah. let's, yeah, let's start with the connections and, and how these, these organizations are able to support each other. Yeah, so before G4GC was this organization that Dr. Morris is leading, um, like I said, it was, a, it was a convening space for funders. So like we've always done, con- convening was in our roots before we were this version of the organization. And so um, that happens, you know, in non-pandemic times that was bringing people into rooms together, literally hosting a physical convening every year. Um, what it's looking like now is a lot of virtual spaces, which actually allows us to do that. Um, we run participatory grant making opportunities. So we reach out to our grantee community and we say, hey, do you have a young person that would be interested in participating in and learning about you know, what it means to to d- decide where resources should go in a community. And then they go through a program with us. We have another program called the Future Economy Lab, where young people from our grantee community, again, were invited to apply. Um, we have a youth advisory committee and design team. So basically, we reach out and are in community with our grantees. We ask them what they need. One of the things that they say often is, we want to know who else is doing the work. We want to learn from each other. And so, like you said, we put them in a Zoom room and we just hold the space or you know, I'll have a grantee email me and say, hey, we're working on this project that addresses, um, you know, sexual violence that is happening in schools, who else around the country is doing it? And we'll email them like, this is the list of organizations that we're supporting and happy to make a connection. So, and as you know, like, 
that takes time. It takes resources, but it's part of our work. And so we are happy to do the work and we're, you know, our, our website is going to go undergo some changes. We're, we're only two years old. So we're, as, as Dr. Morris says, a toddler um, as an organization. And so we are hoping to build out some other platforms and ways for folks to more directly connect with each other. We have a newsletter um, and we're always inviting our, our grantees to share information that we can share back out. There'll be a lot more ways to do that in the future. And then looking forward to October, we'll be hosting a virtual convening. Um, when I share at the end about, you know, where to follow us on social media at G, the number four GC underscore org um, for the Black Girl Freedom Fund, which has its own social media. Um, you can follow at Black Girl Freedom Fund um, and information about our upcoming convening will be available. Um, it's October 25th through the 29th. If you are in New York City on the 29th, there'll be a youth festival. So we'll be host in Brooklyn. So there'll be girls who are DJs and vendors and a space for them to connect. I'm told there'll be a slime table because oh, I had kids are into now, it. Now so, my donors might want to go. Now you, my, know, yeah. um, you know, come through and, and be a part of our community. But if you follow us on socials and, and you know, sign up for our newsletter, it's a way for us. And I will say that, you know, the other way that we bring people together is we're just excited to be in community and connection with people. So if you are an organization that is serving girls of color, particularly if you're one that's led by women and girls of color, we would love to know about you. Um, you can email us at info at grantmakersforgirlsofcolor.org um, and tell us how else we can be useful to you. We can't always meet the need, but we can at least bring people together to figure out who can. Again, from, from a, a man driving his kids to school, Picking up some random kid, who's what's random? What's random anyway? But picking up some kid that you didn't know prior to that, and and bringing him to school, and and you all getting being late for school, that's community, right? It takes a village to this to this situation where it continues to take a village. It you know I, I'm fortunate at that limited community here where. You got this one. I got that one. You know, we have four kids. So there's a lot of like shifting and who grabs this one. And I grab somebody's kids and they grab, you know, but that's like old school stuff. Like, yeah. I, you know, like that's and and that's, you know, that's not because where I live, it's community. That's looking out for each other. That's friendship. It's the extended family. I mean, I have families in my neighborhood that are like family to us, you know, and that's what it was supposed you know, Mahin, I get emotional. That's what it was, right? Isn't that the, the, we talk ancestral, we talk community, we talk certain um, cultures, they have three generations that live together. And that, you know, culturally in this country, you know, that was not my experience. You know, you, you had, you saw your grandparents and whatnot, but everybody had their own place, right? Certain cultures, it isn't like that. Everybody lives together so they can support each other. And there's so much, uh, there's so much wisdom in I feel in, in the United States that we don't value our older folks enough. Yeah. And it, right. And there's so much wisdom and, and so many stories. And just, I'll tell you, I was out in a, a golf outing yesterday and one of the, the two gentlemen that are friends of mine who we were playing golf with um, one wants to start his own show. He wants to start a radio show. He's from Brooklyn. He's an attorney, this whole thing. So literally after this, after this program today, I'm going out and buying a microphone and I'm dropping it off at his office because as a friend, I push my friends to go do something when they say they're going to do it. So now I'm just going to buy him a microphone. He's no excuse anymore. But I'm telling you that because he's from Brooklyn. There's stories. He grew up in the fifties and sixties. There's, he wants to tell stories. I love stories. I, why do we watch movies? Why do we listen to videos? Why do we do these things? Because there's story there. And I think that's family. I want to just 
before we jump into that quick question around corporates, um, 2020, it was called Reimagining Futures for Girls of Color. 2021, the convening with branches of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. Is there a name for this this year's as well? It's about to be announced, so I can't okay. share it. Don't share it. All right, even more fun. That means you yeah. let me know as soon as it's being announced. Stay yeah. I'll announce it on the show next yeah. week. We uh, take our names very seriously. <laughs> I, I could tell. I, I, again, branches of reciprocity. Yeah. Right? Words have meaning. Words have meaning, and they go inside. Of us. So look out for that. I will actually, as soon as Mahin tells me what it's called, I'll tell you guys when I'm allowed to do that. All right, so let's get to this question. You and I were talking earlier th- this week, and why – you know, companies, especially after like during the pandemic, or as you said, the murder of George Floyd, are are very ready to write big checks. You know, whether it be they're pressured to by their stock, their shareholders, or, or whatever that they feel like they have to. Or back to the original piece we talked about: people donate money in the past because of tax reasons and whatnot, or maybe they have their own alter- ulterior motives and angles and whatnot. How do we, and I consider myself part of this philanthropic community, probably I'm on both sides. How do we align together with corporates and how does corporate start to trust the the folks that are doing the work? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is a nonprofit that's supporting community is not a business that is seeking revenue and like pro- like generating revenue. Like they need what they need to be able to do what they do. And so the model is gonna be different. And I think a lot of times corporations are like, I wanna see a nonprofit that's run like a really good business. And I'm like, but you have different aims. What a nonprofit needs to be well run is gonna be different than what a profit uh, seeking entity is doing. And so your benchmarks, your metrics of success are gonna look different. And so the first thing is, you know, when corporations decide to be in relationship with a nonprofit, understand you are getting something out of it. So A, treat that organization with some dignity and respect. Two, trust the organization to determine what's gonna be success and what's not. Three, be really explicit about what the expectations are and why you're getting into that relationship. If you're getting into that relationship because you wanna be able to say that you did something good, then make sure that you did something good and be really open with them. Listen, we're doing this. If you can be honest about that and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there might be something wrong. I don't really care. I don't have a value judgment on why you do it. Just be honest about why you're doing it because if you are honest, it means you can be really open at the front end. Listen, we're gonna want, you know, to bring you in to talk about this, like um, whatever it is that you're doing. Also think about like, what are the other resources you can offer? So we recently got um, a grant from uh, United Chronos Group, UKG, to be able to support seven different organizations supporting girls of color. And I will say it has been a really um, supportive relationship. They trust us. They were very open and upfront about, listen, we are really interested in elevating a dialogue about pay equity. Like, what do you think, especially as it relates to girls of color? How does that, you know, who are the organizations? But also, we're going to want to do this thing. This is what our communications expectations are. How can we be supportive of you so that you're not creating more work? Because the other thing you said was they want to write big checks. I have to push back on that. They are not writing big checks. They're okay. writing little checks and they're expecting a lot of work from organizations. So, so I want to just stop one second because we are going to run out of time because yeah. I want to have a I want to have a dialogue 
whether it's philanthropy and focus or otherwise, where you and I just do a meeting just about this topic. You know, yeah. we could go for, for an, a, an hour and a half and talk about it because thank you for the correction because I don't know about the big checks, little checks thing. But it, there's also this leverage where an organization, like whether it be an intermediary like your organization or the end user can just be like, I'm not freaking doing it. I'm not going to jump through hoops for you, like right or wrong. I'm, I, I just opened up a can of worms with no yeah, time. And it's hard. Like, you know, I know we have to wrap, but I, I would say it's it's hard. Like, how are you going to say, especially if, if you're literally like, I have to make payroll right. and this this corporation is offering me just enough money to make payroll. How I'm, or I'm providing backpacks to kids in my community and this, you know, $15,000 check could make me, uh, give me the capacity to do that. It's very difficult to say no when you're responding to a need and when you're not the one with the power yep. in that situation. And so I think it's about people being honest about where power lives. Can someone say no? Absolutely. I know a lot of amazing organizations. We got interviewed by an organization. We are being interviewed by an organization where we said, we want to give you money. And they said, we need to figure out who you are before we decide to take your money. But that is that is a very difficult, incredibly powerful thing to do that most nonprofits don't have the option of. So it's on us as the people giving the money to actually interrogate what additional work are we creating for people? Right. And is it worth the amount of money that we're giving? We got to leave it there, which I don't want to do, but I, that's life. So how do they get in touch with you? This is an incredible conversation. I mean, how do they get in touch with you and G4GC? Yeah, Facebook, it's Grantmakers for Girls of Color on all the other socials at G, the number four, GC underscore org. Um, and at Black Girl Freedom Fund, um, you know, follow us. We are excited. We share a lot of information about grant opportunities. You can DM us if you're an organization. We check those regularly. So um, just be in community with us. If you are interested in supporting Girls of Color, we are excited to help you do that. Thank you for being here. We do have to bring it to a close. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate our friendship. Next week on the show, I got to just shout out. Bobby Brown will be here from Young New Yorkers. This is an organization founded in 2012 that has restorative art diversion programs to help young people exit the criminal justice system. Bobby, uh, Bobby has was the assistant uh, corporation counsel for the New York Law Department. She has an incredible background. I don't have the time to tell you all about it now. So just meet us here next week and you'll find about then. I mean, thanks for being here. Dylan, great job behind the glass. We'll see everybody. Make it a great day. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? 
Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. podcast gateway to the smokies it airs on talkradio.nyc every tuesday night from 6 p.m to 7 every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the great smoky mountains national park and surrounding areas this show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture history and adventure that awaits you in the smokies tune in every tuesday from 6 p.m to 7 on talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 